0: Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten.
1: I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into all that is true crime. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. There's lots of great stuff on there, so if you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can go on Etsy and look us up at Terrible True Crime. And the last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave us a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, let's get into some updates. Last weekend, I did a quick visit to Ottawa for the long weekend, so it was really nice. I got to see Marie, got to see my family. We prepped some things for the podcast that are coming up, which is exciting. And I was with my mom, so we obviously watched a true crime documentary together. Mm -hmm. And we watched Our Father on Netflix, and oh my God, it is so disturbing. I feel like if someone just explains the concept to you, you're kind of like, oh, that's really weird. But watching these firsthand stories, yeah. like, it's it's such a violating thing. It's this fertility doctor in the States who basically like inseminated a bunch of women with his own sperm. So he has like too many children to count (laughs) and they're all living in this same like small area because like they all came Mm -hmm. to him. They were like, not small area, but like small enough that like when you get to the amount of children that he fathered, they were all like, are we dating each other? Well, that's a thing, right? Yeah.
0: Like that's so gross. It was so disturbing that I actually like literally had to exit it because I, it's too much for me. Too much. To me, the
1: thing was when he was doing it to replace the donors, like the random donors, that was one thing equally as horrible but to me it's when like the there's a couple like mom and dad and dad gives his firm and he's just like nope going to use mine yeah and then a child that they think they've raised their whole life to be theirs is not theirs. Like, just imagine oh the
0: dad's broken heart finding that out. That's obviously that's still his daughter or whatever because yeah, you know he raised them. But still, like it must be so confusing for everyone like in that scenario to go through.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of recommend it. It's really well made. It's interesting, and there are over fifty half siblings now oh fathered by this freaking doctor.
0: How can like how can he even live with himself? It's so weird anyway it, didn't, it was, didn't he also say yeah. that like he only did it because he knew he had great
1: like there was a couple you know of what different, i mean <laughs> like weird reasons like oh he was doing it for this or that and it's like no you were doing it because you're sick Disgusting. in the head and, like i don't know like something's wrong up there because nothing makes sense no um but yeah, the twenty three and Me thing is really interesting, or like the DNA, like the ancestry kits or whatever. Because what they were doing was like swabbing the inside of their mouths and sending in these kits, and then it would come back with like seven hundred matches, and they'd be like, "Wait, what? Like,
0: <laughs> oh you're not my supposed God. to get that many
1: matches? Yeah, so weird." Anyway, you guys should watch it. It's uh, it's very interesting. And also this morning, Marie you didn't answer me for a couple hours and <laughs> texted Marie in the morning oh my God. and she's up earlier than I am usually. So when I'm getting up early and I text her, I know it's already like two hours later for her and like the thought of you being a murder victim was like <laughs> thought number two in my head. <laughs> Actually? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is weird. I was like, maybe she's just busy at work. Or maybe she's been murdered. Should I? Oh, COVID? my God.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I've been sick. So I don't know when I'm sick. I'm like, I put my phone away and I'm like, I can't deal with anything other than like, try to survive. But yeah, usually because usually Renee, will t- if she texts me, she'll text me like late, late, late at night when I'm already sleeping because of our like time difference. And that's when the morning I'll wake up and I'll respond to her right away. But that's so funny that you actually thought of that. Um, My update is that when Renee came or the week, the weekend that Renee came to Ottawa to visit, First of all, I saw her in person. I was like, oh my God, you're real. Like, I feel like I haven't seen her in so long. I literally hugged her and I was like, wow, like, it's so nice to see you in person. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) but um, there was a ginormous storm that hit Ottawa. Thunderstorm, tornado, all of it. And we got a fair warning. Like, we got one of those alerts where it said severe thunderstorm approaching, like, take shelter, whatever, if you see something. Anyways, can't talk right now, but so I, I get this alert and I'm like, oh shoot, I I should leave now and try to avoid the storm so that I could go see Renee. So I do, I leave my house. I start to drive It was maybe like supposed to be usually a 30 minute drive. Took me an hour and a half because this storm, I've never seen anything like it. It destroyed the entirety of Ottawa, trees everywhere, hydro pulls down, like I could not even see out of my car. It was so scary to drive in. And then I get there, I see Renee, and then uh, my boyfriend calls me and he's like, yeah, so we have two trees down in our backyard. The fence is broken. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, are the dogs okay? Are the dogs okay? Mm-hmm. So we're all good. But we had a, a fun weekend of uh, clearing our trees in the backyard, which I'm really sad because I get sunburned easily mm-hmm. and now there's not
1: going to be as much shade. Aww. But- yeah and you guys lost power for like oh yeah what feels like an eternity for the world that we live in yeah
0: pretty much like around four days but some people just got it back today like some people it was like a long time
1: like moral of the story is listen to those alerts on your. yeah so moral of the story
0: don't take them for granted listen to them because i know i will by now
1: because that was
0: too much too much
1: Alright, so our sources for this week's case are a global article from Amy Judd, an episode of Crime Stories Season 8 Episode 7 called Bullies Kill, a Wikipedia page, a page from the Canadian Encyclopedia by Richard Foote, I also listened to an episode of the podcast called Canadian True Crime Episode 6. It's Monday, November 17th in 1997, and school is just about to begin for teens in Victoria, BC. It's a typical morning, there's lots of gossip going around, probably talk about what happened over the weekend. Except, the rumor this morning is a little more disturbing than usual. Some kids had been bragging about beating up another girl, and this might not raise too many alarm bells, not that physical fights are that common in high school, but they do sometimes happen. The thing that's a little different about this rumor, though, is that the source of the gossip is going as far as claiming that they killed the girl, stating that this girl would probably never be returning to school. This, this is a brutal case. I apologize in advance, it's brutal. The severity of the rumor causes it to spread slowly throughout the town, it seems like. Teachers are most likely the first to hear it. I feel like teachers always know like know everything that's going on. They always know the drama.
0: Also, like if this was just a rumor, like who makes up a rumor like that?
1: Yeah, y- there's like two ways of thinking about it. It's like, obviously this isn't true because that's so ridiculous. Like that would never have happened or who makes up rumor like that, like mm. this has to be true, right? Like I feel like there's yeah. the two ways you could go with it. I don't think teachers take it that seriously right away. The rumor eventually continues to spread and reaches local police, as well as two worried parents that were looking for their teenage daughter. Manjeet and Suman Verk. They had reported their daughter, Rena missing over the weekend when she hadn't come home on Friday night. Let me tell you a bit about Rina. She was born on March 10th of 1983 again to her parents, Manjeet and Suman Virk. Manjeet was from New Delhi, India, and he came to Canada in his 20s. Soon after he moved here, he met his future wife, and they were married only a couple months after meeting, which is either super sweet or a really bad idea, but in this case, (laughs) super sweet. (laughs) After Rina was born, the couple had another daughter and then a son. The family lived in the Saanich neighborhood of Victoria, British Columbia. Rena's father described her in the Crime Stories episode as a happy child. She was outgoing and she loved animals. This is another one I can connect to a little bit because when Rena reached her preteen years she began to rebel a little bit (laughs) against her parents. She's not focusing on school as much. She got into fights with her parents and began lying to them about where she was and what she was doing. She didn't seem to care about her room or necessarily care about taking care of herself. It sounds like it could be normal preteen behavior, but also, to a certain extent, symptoms of depression or something else going on, and this is just me kind of looking at the situation as an outsider from the information that we have. What we're going to discuss next probably explains a lot of this. It's reported that Rena was being bullied. A lot. Other kids are picking on her about her appearance. She had darker skin, She was tall, she had dark coarse hair, and people really did pick on those things about her and pointed them out constantly. A lot of this is rooted in racism, since it was a mostly white community, and Rena did stand out. All of this obviously made her feel very self-conscious. The more Rena pushed back on her parents' rules, the stricter her parents tried to be with her. Of course, this must be so hard battling how to handle a teenager like this. It seems like Rena did not enjoy her setup at home with her parents. She had even made some attempts to run away. Ugh, so at this point, I just—it's tough. I feel for Rena. Bullying is horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible, and it's out there, and it happens, and happy there's a lot of campaigns and stuff against it, and people tend to stand up more against it, but I mean, when you feel like you're an outcast, you feel it really deeply. The conflict between Rina and her parents continued, and she probably felt really torn between an unhappy home life and an unhappy social life, because a lot of the reasons she was going out and staying out late was because she had made herself a small group of friends. I mean, within this group of friends, it seems like there was still some bullying going on like she was kind of like the token friend to get picked on it makes me so sad i know it's horrible it's like as a parent like you can't always be there to try to help your kid through it and it really seems like her parents really tried to do their best at this point you can't yeah exactly you can't be there to try and tell the kids to be nice to your kid. Mm. like they just have to kind of figure it out and so, kids can be mean especially around this so age.
0: mean so Like mean. so
1: mean and just like brutal. I think no matter who you are, you've experienced like some form of, of bullying or some yeah. form of feeling like even like a little bit like Rena must have felt now. So I think this really makes us connect to her. In 1996, Rena reported that her parents were physically abusive to the police. There was no evidence of this, so no charges were laid. She then moved in with her mother's parents, so her grandparents. She continued to tell people that she had been physically abused, and even added eventually that her father was sexually abusing her. She reports this to the police, and they do an investigation. They do arrest Manjeet for the sexual abuse, and at this point he's awaiting trial for more than a year. So I think he's out on bail and stuff, like he's, he's out living his life, mm-hmm. but he's um, like required not to have contact with his daughter, which ugh. During this time, things were also not going well for Rena while she was living at her grandparents' house. It's reported that she might have had a suicide attempt around this time, but it's unclear. The details are kind of unclear. She was then placed in foster care. Things would not go so well there either. I'm assuming she might have thought that she would get a bit more freedom in foster care, but this was not the case. Apparently, the new friends that she had recently made had told her that if she brought forward the allegations against her father and her parents, like father and mother, mm-hmm. then she could be placed in foster care and have more freedom.
0: I don't think foster care is ever something that like you should willingly put yourself in.
1: No, you no, know? especially because it seems like Rena's parents really did care for her mm-hmm. and loved her through this entire thing. All you can really feel is just like a really confused and angry teenager. Mm-hmm. And like, that's really hard because part of you can like relate a little bit to maybe how she was feeling. Honestly, what it comes down to is Reno is really struggling and I think that, that that'll be obvious.
0: And you don't know what to do when you're that age. Like you, you can't think about like, what can I do to make this better? You just kind of take decisions that aren't, aren't the best.
1: Yeah. And I think she thinks the world is kind of against her and the friends that she is making are like encouraging this type of behavior and if all you want is to fit in, then you do your best to fit in and maybe your family comes second to that because it's more important for your social life to be better than your family life to be better. While in foster care one night, she stayed out late and she would tell her foster mom that it was because she had been assaulted. The police was called, but I guess things were not adding up. This put a lot of doubt in police's minds about Rena and the accusation that she made against her father. Rina would later admit that these were false allegations. Girl is really going through it to accuse your father and your parents of doing something like that. Ugh, I think I it shows that she's not understanding the severity of the situation I
0: don't Things. I can't even imagine like how her father feels knowing that it's not true, and I don't know, just yeah. being judged for something that he didn't do. That's so sad.
1: And honestly, throughout this entire thing, it seems like the Verks always had kind of like an open door to Rena. Like, if you want to come home, you come home. She would eventually move back home, but the same issues were happening. She wanted to do whatever she wanted with no rules, but her parents wanted structure. Obviously, their parents. She would run away from home again. She'd kind of go back and forth, but at this point, she ends up in a youth shelter. In October of 1997, she was placed in a group home. From what I understood at this point, she kind of goes back and forth from the group home to her parents' house, kind of like sleepover style, like she'll go to her parents every once in a while to sleep there. But she's living in the group home. And while she's there, she's kind of meeting, you know, more and more people. And, you know, these are kids that have been through a lot, and some of them might... I have rougher backgrounds and she's kind of mixed it's not helping Rena's situation let's just Put it that way it sounds from what the kids that she was meeting this kind of led to how this case ends for Rena. so she's hanging out with these new friends from the group home a little bit from when she met at school other schools in the community and she was talking a lot about being part of a gang and dressing in baggy clothing it's reported a lot that it's kind of like it's fired by la gangs she was even claiming to be attached to well-known gangs as well again to me this is just another version of her trying to fit in so badly in a group Rena was skipping school, smoking weed and cigarettes, and the new group of friends she had made were including her, but like I said, it didn't seem like it was, you know, this, these beautiful friendships that supported her and loved her. On November 14th of 1997, it's a Friday, a Friday night, and the kids have plans. Reena and her group of friends plan to meet in the field behind the Shoreline School in View Royal. They're hanging out, probably smoking, maybe drinking, we can only assume. And while this is going on, police get a 911 call from a janitor who is inside the school, and he calls after a rock's been thrown through a window. Don't do that. I mean, if you're going to have like a little party outside, like at least don't throw a wrong through the window. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get attention like
0: brought to yourself.
1: Yes, exactly. The police show up and the group scatters. So they all run in different directions and they basically meet at different like meetup points. Rena is part of a small group that meets at a convenience store. At the convenience store, Rena calls her mom and she tells her that she plans on being home that night and staying the night. But then the group of kids she's hanging out with kind of invite her to go have another smoke, so she agrees and she goes. They move their little party down to the Craigflower Bridge. This is when the night turns for the worst. You know, just the classic like high school drama. So bear with me, and I'll try to explain it. Although this is a fight about rumors based on rumors. So one of the girls in the group is upset with Rena. Cause apparently, or allegedly, Rena had started a rumor about her. Or maybe she had a crush on a boy that the girls felt like she shouldn't or she wasn't allowed to. But something something along those lines, and a fight begins. They had led Rena down towards the bridge with the intention of teaching her a lesson. So this was all pre-planned. The fight becomes physical. One of the teenage girls puts out a burning cigarette on Rena's forehead. This is gonna get worse and worse. So just hang on everyone. Then Rena gets swarmed by the rest of the group. There is 7 girls and 1 boy, all around 14 to 16 years old. They punch her, they kick her. Rena cries out apologizing, asking them to stop. She's on the ground at this point. There's mud, it's close to a bridge, close to water. They continue their attack, but once it is done, Rena, freaking amazingly, gathers herself and begins to try to make her way towards her parents' house. At this point, two individuals approach her. They offer to walk her home at first, but their real motive was to make sure that it was clear to her that she's not to tell anyone about the events that had just happened. They again attack her. They punch her, they smash her head against a tree, and Rina is dragged into the water. This is obviously horrible, it's disgusting. Um, it, at this point, Rena is unconscious, so it's, you know, extremely dangerous. And it's really hard to believe that teenage kids could do something like this. Yeah, it is. When she didn't come home by midnight, Rena's parents were worried. They phoned the group home, but the group home had no idea where she was. They asked to speak to one of the girls who they thought might be with their daughter that night. But she says the last time she saw her was the previous night. So this is after midnight. So technically, it's probably in the early hours of the morning. But she said, I haven't seen her since technically the Friday night. Rena had a history of going missing and missing curfew, but no matter what's happened, her parents report her missing. I'm sure they are extremely worried and they spend the next days calling people from Rena's phone book trying to get any information they can about their daughter. One friend tells them that she was supposed to meet Rena at a Walmart that night, but she never showed up. Another one mentions that she saw her near the bridge, but nothing else. Monday morning comes along and now we're back where we started our case. As I mentioned earlier, the rumors reach the local police and they start to connect the dots between the missing person's report and the rumors. Reno is also named in some cases, so it was pretty clear that it was connected, but like we were saying earlier, like how unbelievable is it's hard to believe that teenage kids could do something like this. So a group of kids where not even one person says, well, relax, that's not. Not even one person. Mm. Well. I have to say during the first fight it's reported that one of the girls says okay that's enough but to me that's not enough like that that's Mm -hmm. not I'm not giving anyone any credit for just saying during the first attack you still did nothing to stop this no investigators begin to question local teens they interview some of Rena's school friends and her friends from the group home a lot of information that investigators are getting is secondhand and basically unreliable rumors. They need someone to come forward who was there. Finally, they find an actual witness who is willing to step forward. The witness tells investigators that one of the girls at the little get-together beat up Rina and threw her in the water. It comes out later that people had been called and asked to participate in the attack ahead of time, and others had actually volunteered to participate. Oh my god. Like, what is in the water in this town? Like, literally. That's like the biggest thing with this case, I think, is how so many people were a part of it and no one did anything to stop it.
0: Like, it's not even
1: because of Rena. Like, they would have attacked anyone. Like, they kind of just wanted to. I'm sure they all didn't hate Rena that much. Like, mm-hmm. you're right. Like, it's almost like it was just like a teen angst thing, but like, that's not a normal, like, angsty thing to do. Yeah. After receiving this information, the case is upgraded from a missing persons report to a criminal investigation more witnesses start to come forward, and finally they are naming people that were there that night. It's becoming clear that the attack on Rina was way planned out. Her attackers knew that that night they wanted to quote-unquote teach her a lesson for some of the things that she had done. Again, this goes back to what, some stupid little rumor that she might have been spreading, well, that she allegedly spread, or maybe a boy she had a crush on, like, <sighs> I mean... I know we're never going to get a bigger explanation than that, but that's just, nothing would be enough for me to warrant this, but that definitely <laughs> yeah, exactly. is not enough. Investigators search the crime scene. They're looking for any physical evidence, but unfortunately they don't find much. A girl who firsthand took part in the first attack comes forward. She tells investigators all about that night. She tells them they led Rena down the bridge and they began attacking her. Police are putting together all the names of the people that were there, but there are many, right? It was like a big group, and then they split out small groups, and it, it's probably just kind of a mess. Two names do stick out, though. Kelly Ellard, who was 15 at the time, and Warren Glowatsky, who was 16.
0: I wonder why that uh, one girl came forward and said that she was part of the attack. Like, was it the guilt eating her alive or?
1: I almost feel like no, like this is pure speculation, but I almost feel like it's because investigators like started to build a picture of who was there. So then I think what they probably did was start putting pressure on who they at least thought could have been there and been Mm -hmm. like, if you come forward, you know, this is the right thing to do or work something or whatever. That's what my feeling is. I mean, how do you do this? And then like. yeah have feelings of remorse, but also like so many people do this that I would hope some of them have feelings of remorse, I don't know. But part of me feels like it is to cover their own butts, whoever did come forward. Keep in mind a lot of these people are minors, so we don't even know their names. Investigators' next step is to round up all the teens together that were there the night of the attack. They do this very smartly, I found, by assuming that all the same kids will be all around the same spot that they were the last Friday night. (laughs) And they were. as kids so are they're not smart enough. <laughs> exactly. They roll up on these teenagers and they bring them all in for questioning. And some talk, enough that investigators feel they know they're starting to really understand what happened. Kelly Ellard and Warren Glowatsky had been the last ones to see Rena, the ones who followed her after the initial attack, the ones who wanted to make sure that she wouldn't talk. Witnesses tell police that Kelly forced Trina to remove some of her clothes and that she later returned to the crime scene to get rid of the clothes in a public garbage bin. They know now they need to talk to this Kelly. When they do, Kelly admits to throwing the first punch. So I think from everything we can find that Kelly was really kind of the instigator of the, the entire attack. Like I think the rumors that were started were around her and all, anyway, she was heavily invested obviously in this plan and in this attack. So she admits to throwing the first punch, but she denies the second attack. She even suggests that Rena could have just been abducted. Okay. Okay, okay, Kelly. Investigators feel like they have enough to charge the six girls who were involved in the first attack with assault causing bodily harm as young offenders. Again, we don't know their names. And then charge Kelly and Warren with second-degree murder. They charge them both as adults, 15 and 16 years old. They're charged as adults. Rina's body would only be discovered eight days after the attack. On November 22nd of 1997, the police use a helicopter and finally locate Rina's body. She was retrieved from the water by police divers. The media is all over this discovery. Manjeet and Suman are notified of their daughter's death. Manjeet describes this as a horrible time, having to call their extended family to let them all know what had happened. He says that the media was brutal. They were knocking on their doors and asking them for answers, even calling them bad parents, which is terrible. Yes. Oh my God. Could you imagine? I don't know how people do that. Like these parents have just lost their firstborn child, their daughter. In a disgusting way. And (laughs) they had been hearing these rumors. So they were basically just waiting to hear the news pretty much. And the people from the media are knocking on their door, asking them for answers. They don't have answers and they're also grieving. Oh, yeah, I hate off. when
0: yeah, I hate when like people who are our family members of the victim are not let al- like let alone after they yeah. find the news like give them some space give them some time like do you really need to be all up in their face
1: no they they don't they just want to be the first person to get the story or or whatever it is but this like was basically a media sensation for lack of better words it went all over canada even across the world cuz this is such a unbelievable story mm mm-hmm. Investigators then get a search warrant for Kelly Ellard's house. They take a jacket that they believe she wore that night. A memorial is then set up for Rena by the community on the bridge. This obviously really shook the entire community, so they rallied together and put up flowers on the bridge. A coroner's autopsy reported extensive damage to Rena's body. She had multiple blows and bruising to her head and abdomen. The report said that Rena would most likely have died from her injuries if she hadn't drowned. It would later come out that after the second attack, Kelly Ellard put her foot on Rena's head and held it underwater while she had a full cigarette. Oh, what?
0: Yo, those kids are next level messed up. Yeah.
1: yeah, like we thought high school was scary. Like this is scary. What? Like I didn't I'm even 16- know kids could be like capable of this. Know, like it's, it's like 15. it's
0: like she enjoyed killing her pretty much what do you
1: mean having yeah, a cigarette like a literally drowning her it was like a dominance thing or something like she was just there like yep i did this and like she was the one who basically started all the rumors like she was saying i don't think Rina's gonna come back anymore like she you won't see her at school so for her it was almost like a it was like a proud moment yeah. like it gave her like street cred like i don't know like but don't it's... mess
0: with me kind of thing like yes how big and tough like I how am. how hard I am, like yeah. or
1: whatever, yeah. Yeah, but this 15 and 16, even 14-year-olds like, is what's making up this That's group. It's disgusting. Yeah. In February of 1998, the six girls who were charged with the assault causing bodily harm are convicted. Their sentences are for 60 days to about a year long in youth custody. <sighs> I don't care that they're kids. I don't care.
0: I don't care that
1: they're kids. 60 days? Like, she could have had severe damage to her internal organs, to her brain, all of that stuff, just from the first attack. Forget the second one. Forget the one that actually did it and it was over. The first one did enough damage. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. (laughs) 60 days to a year. That's what we have to come to terms with.
0: And that's us. Imagine her
1: family. That's so scary. Kelly came from a pretty average home life. I mean, her parents were divorced, but it was nothing significant. But Warren, on the other hand, had some gang affiliations. He lived by himself in a trailer home since his father had moved to the United States. It's unclear really why Warren was involved in the first place like why would he follow Kelly who seems to be the one who's kind of driving the attack and help her so there's different reports either he had a crush on her and was trying to impress her or he just kind of got caught up in the gang mentality and really was I guess kind of similar to Kelly like trying to act hard trying to big like trying to act cool I don't know to me this is this is none of those things I would this is just like horrible awful and disgusting But that must have been the motivation, I don't know. It's reported that he was dating a girl that was at the party that night, but this girl had left early, so I'm not really sure about the whole having a crush on Kelly thing. Warren would plead not guilty, then go to trial. And basically, while he was at trial, he says that he had no idea what Kelly was planning. He didn't know she was going to kill Rena. I don't know. To me, like, I don't care if he didn't know, like, he was still part of the entire thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the other six girls. Like, I don't really care if you don't know the intention. You still participated in doing something like this to someone. How do you decide to charge someone as an adult? That's a good question. I think it depends if they're close to the age of 18 and how severe the crime is. Mm -hmm. But I think it's up to... We can include that information on our update next week. We'll talk about it in our updates, but... There definitely is some conversation. It's not like mm-hmm. black and white. I think it's a very gray area. In June of 1999, Warren is found guilty of second-degree murder. He is sentenced to life, which is 25 years in prison, with no chance of parole for seven years. So after serving seven years, he's able to apply for parole. In November of 2004, he gets his first chance at parole. He is denied. The Verks, so Rina's parents, do not contest his parole. They don't oppose to it because Warren expressed remorse and responsibility for his part in the murder. In July of 2006, he was granted unescorted temporary absence from jail. By December of 2006, he was eligible to apply for parole again, which was granted in June of 2007. He was released on full parole in June of 2010. Manjeet, Rina's father, Talks about Warren and the episode of Crime Stories. He says that Warren really did do some soul searching during his time behind bars. He reached out to the Verks and they agreed to meet with him. Manjeet says it was difficult, but they forgave him. And they even attended his parole hearings and supported him.
0: Oh my god, which I have is, full body know. goosebumps right now.
1: I did too. I did too. Wow. It's incredible. I was sitting here I, when I was watching those sort of crime stories. I was talking to myself like, wow, what amazing people because that would not be me. That would not I would not choose the road to forgiveness. I would choose the road to anger and bitterness. Like I, this, these parents are truly amazing because there's yeah. not a lot of people that could do that. His like bottom line through all of this was like if something good can come of this, mm-hmm. then let it come.
0: I just don't understand the whole forgive the person for yourself. What do you mean I'm forgiving them for something they did? Just because I get like yeah. it's not going to bring me any comfort. Yeah, hey, and maybe
1: that's something we'll never get until hopefully we are never yeah. in that position. But you probably live with so much hate in your heart for so long that at a certain points, yeah. In March of two thousand, Kelly pleads not guilty. And during her first trial, she's placed on house arrest. She was apparently uncooperative and very unremorseful during the entire trial. Her defense was basically that all the girls that were involved, so the first six that were already charged and served 60 days to a year framed her. So they all got together and pointed fingers at her and she's kind of just the scapegoat is her defense. Warren was brought to the court to testify during the trial, but he refused to do so. So this is, you know, this is back before when this initially happened. It's unclear if he's just not wanting to be a a rat, like not running to tattle or to tell the truth or to get Kelly in trouble, or if it's just not in his best interest for his legal proceedings to go to hers Mm -hmm. and to talk. But he was found in contempt of court, so if you get called to be a witness, you get called to be a witness there's no you you do it but he refused to the point where he got charged with contempt of court during her first trial kelly's found guilty in february of 2003 the bc court of appeals announces that due to improperties in the way that kelly was questioned during her first trial a new trial will be ordered so her first conviction is thrown out she gets found guilty but throw that out because they find that there was an error in the first trial, like the appeal worked, they found some little discrepancy, and trial gets thrown out. Now she gets a second trial in June of 2004. Kelly's second murder trial begins in July of that year. A mistrial is declared during Kelly's second trial. The jury is deadlocked eleven to one. She's costing the justice system a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. In February of 2005, Kelly begins her third trial. And in April of 2005, Kelly is found guilty of second-degree murder. She is given an automatic life sentence with no chance of parole for at least seven years. In August of 2006, she appeals her conviction, asking for a fourth trial. Yep. Meanwhile. Rena's poor family, parents, friends, real friends, like like they're just going through this. No compassion for them from Kelly's end, that's for sure. In April of 2009, Kelly's appeal goes before the Supreme Court of Canada, and in June of that year, the Supreme Court reinstates the second-degree murder conviction against her. This puts an end to all of the legal proceedings that have lasted more than a decade. That's crazy. Yeah. In January 2017, she's denied parole. In November of 2017, she's granted day parole. I hate it. I hate day parole. like we always rage about this. Mm -hmm. Why? In October of 2018, she changes her name to Carrie Marie Sim, and her day parole is extended. In August of 2019, she's granted overnight leaves and extended day parole. Yep. I will never understand that. And this is the following article that brought this case to my attention, because in March of 2022, in the Global News article I mentioned earlier, titled, Day Parole Continued, Full Parole Denied for Kelly Ellard, Killer of BC Teen, Rena Virk. And I'll let you read an excerpt from the article.
0: Day Parole has been continued for Kelly Ellard, while full parole has been denied, according to a decision released by the Parole Board of Canada. According to the parole board, Kelly waived her right to a parole hearing and did not want to provide the board with any written comments related to that decision. Kelly has now had two children while behind bars. The parole board says her most recent psychological risk assessment was completed in August 2016. According to the assessment, you present a moderate to high-moderate risk of future violence particularly over the longer term. The risk would be higher if you used substances or associate with antisocial or substance abusing others. Can we
1: talk about the two children? Because I was so confused.
0: Yeah. So you go on your day parole, do your business, <laughs> come back, you're pregnant, and you have two
1: kids just like that while
0: being locked up for that long?
1: I hope to God the man that she had these children with is decent and he's taking care of them. There's no way. <laughs> There's <nobody laughs> no money <way>. either. <laughs> There needs to be a way because if not, I'm losing faith in the justice system because what is happening here? Like, what is happening? I literally had to read that like five times before I said it aloud. I'm like, are
0: you serious? Two kids? Okay. Two oh kids from
1: behind bars. And I tried to look for a bit more information, but you know, obviously these- kids or infants, and I, I have no right to finding out their personal business. It's just, I'm just confused as to how mm-hmm. something like this happens. But if you're letting someone go out unsupervised, you can't control what they do. That's what I'm saying. What's all this uh, leave from prison getting you pregnant? That's what. And are they are they supposed to, like, are they expected to just show back up at the prison? Like, this is my question. Yeah. No, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I would run. <laughs> like. <laughs> I would. I would never be in this position. But you're telling me you're letting me out for the day. Bye. I'm leaving. I am not coming back. <laughs> no. I'm surprised oh more of them don't run. No, so you're right. Look at these date rolls. <laughs> be out of right. there in two seconds. Oh my god. This next part is from the Canadian Encyclopedia.
0: Manjeet and Suman Verk channeled their grief over Rina's murder into a public awareness campaign against bullying and teenage violence. They successfully pushed the British Columbia government to enact a series of anti-bullying programs in schools. They also spoke about bullying in public meetings attended by thousands of children, teachers, and law enforcement officials. Since then, bullying has become a national topic of conversation. In 2009, the Virgs were honored with British Columbia's Anthony J. Holm Award of Distinction for their Contributions to Crime Prevention and Community
1: Safety. I know Matty's reading ahead. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is such a freak thing. Like, oh, I feel so bad for this family. In June of two thousand eighteen, at the age of fifty-eight, Rena's mom Suman was eating at a cafe in Victoria and passed away due to a choking incident. It's a sad life for that family. <sighs> Yeah, I hope that the other two Virk children are doing very well. I have not read it, but I think it would be a really good read, and I plan to maybe buy it for the summer. But Rena's father, Manjit Virk, wrote a book called Rena: A Father's Story. Stop. He wrote it? Yes. Aww. So if we pick it up this summer and we read it, we'll let you guys know how it is. This week,
0: we will be donating to Bully in Canada.
1: This is from their website.
0: Bullying Canada is the only national anti-bullying charity solely dedicated to creating a brighter future for bullied youth. What began as a youth-created website to bringing together bullied kids and providing information on bullying and how to stop is now a full 24-7 support service. On any day of the year, at any time, youth, parents, coaches, and teachers contact us by phone, text, online chat, and email for help on how to make bullying stop. Our support team is comprised of hundreds of highly trained volunteers. If you would like to contribute to Bullying Canada, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram, TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at Terrible at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us and
1: see you next time mm